Before getting into today's content, I want to do a quick introduction. The podcast with Alan, we, him and I recorded two different Zoom calls. And from those Zoom calls, I pieced together the podcast. And the reason for that is, which you will shortly hear, I wanted to ensure that we got the most information in the most impactful way. And in order to do that, I felt that we needed to cut it up and splice it and put it all into place like a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. And it was an, Alan gave an excellent presentation. It was very moving and he was very gracious with his time and just it was an absolute pleasure to talk to. And you may notice that it might sound a little bit choppy, and that is just because it was all sort of spliced together. But I did my best to keep the continuity intact. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be speaking with Mr. Alan Samuelson today. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Pleased to be on for this opportunity to share my story. I'm very happy to have you on here. Well, thank you very much, uh, Marcus. Uh, I'd like to give you a bit of uh, information on my diagnosis of HIV. So I was diagnosed with HIV in July 2014 and have been on antiretroviral treatment since my diagnosis. Compliance to take antiretrovirals is paramount and cannot be overestimated. My CD4 count is up and my viral load is undetectable. I have not missed any doses of medication since my diagnosis in July 2014. That is who I am. Uh, I'm going to start out by stating that finding out that you are HIV positive is a message that is very hard to hear. The first statement from my physician was that HIV is not a death sentence. There is no cure for HIV, but with the present antiretroviral drugs and early treatment, one can avoid getting AIDS. Many people with HIV can live out their natural lifespan. I was told that my CD4 count was at 200 and was necessary as at that stage, HIV can convert to AIDS. Of note, one physician I had seen earlier called me after my diagnosis to apologize for not considering an HIV test for me. In his words, I did not fit the profile. And as a result of my diagnosis, he has now changed his practice to include routine HIV testing. HIV patients will be taking antiretroviral drugs for life and needs ongoing monitoring and regular clinic visits to observe the progression of the disease. A healthy diet is required and a patient must establish good exercise routine, avoid smoking and limit the consumption of alcohol. As indicated, regular blood work is required and the patient must schedule routine visits to his physician and a team of health professionals to assist with living well. So HIV is a manageable disease, but there are challenges treating it along with other chronic conditions. For me, I also manage a pituitary adenoma since 1991, and I have COPD since 2013. I'm going to now discuss uh, abbreviations and definitions associated with people living with HIV. Um, abbreviations and definitions found in the literature uh, is quite plentiful at the time. And uh, I'm, I'm going to first of all talk about what the abbreviations. HIV, Many of you probably have heard that statement. What it is an abbreviation that stands for human 
immunodeficiency virus. HIV is a virus that weakens the immune system, which is an internal system of the body, and it's there to protect the person from infections. AIDS, that's another word that's common. AIDS stands for Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. If HIV is not treated with anti-HIV drugs, the immune system becomes weaker. Eventually, you can become sick with a life-threatening infection at this person appointed is said to have AIDS. The proper treatment with antiretroviral drugs, most people with HIV can avoid getting AIDS. So what is the difference between HIV and AIDS? HIV uh, and AIDS, they are a different diagnosis, but they do go hand in hand. AIDS is a condition, while HIV is a virus that may cause an infection. AIDS is also known as stage three HIV. HIV is a virus that can lead to immune system deterioration. As a result, the immune system is unable to work as effective as it should. AIDS develops when HIV has caused serious damage to the immune system. Adherence to antiretroviral therapy can prevent AIDS from developing. I'm going to let you uh, understand the CD4 cells, and uh, CD4 are cells that have a central role in the immune system. They are central in fighting off infections. A normal CD4 count is generally between 500 and 1500 cells. A CD count, a cell count determines how strong your immune system is. Values above 500 cells generally indicate that immune system is strong enough to fight off most infections. Values between two and 500 indicates that the immune system is becoming weak and more vulnerable to infections. CD4 plus cells below 200 means your immune system is very weak at risk of developing threatening infections. HIV AIDS. Anyone diagnosed with AIDS has already contracted HIV. HIV can be transmitted between people. AIDS, on the other hand, is a condition a person acquires only after they have contracted HIV. During a latency period, a person with HIV may experience no symptoms at all. If HIV develops into stage three, or AIDS, life expectancy <laughs> drops significantly. Even if early HIV doesn't show symptoms, yet they can still transmit the virus. The viral load measures how much virus is in the blood. The goal is to keep the viral load so low that virus cannot be detected by a viral load test. When antiretroviral when antiretroviral drugs are taken, the viral load should decline. A viral load that is less than 500 is considered to be undetectable. I'd like to go on to uh, indicate who can get HIV. And the answer is anyone can get HIV, no matter your age, your sex, your race, or ethnic origin and who you have sex with. How does HIV get passed from one person to another? Only five body fluids can contain enough HIV to infect someone. These body fluids include blood, semen, including precum, rectal fluids, vaginal fluid, and breast milk. HIV can only get passed on when one of these fluids from a person with HIV gets into the bloodstream of another person through broken skin. So example, uh, the opening of the penis or the wet linings 
of the uh, body, such as the vagina, rectum, or foreskin. HIV cannot pass through healthy, unbroken skin. The tune, may wave, the tune main waves that HIV can get passed between one person and someone else are through sex, by sharing needles and other equipment to inject drugs, including steroids and uh, hormones. Now the converse, converse side of this, who cannot get HIV? HIV cannot be passed by shaking hands, working or eating with someone who has HIV, hugs or kisses, coughs or sneezes, swimming pools, toilet seats, water functions, water fountains, bed sheets or towels, forks, spoons, cups or food, insects or animals. Um, I haven't gone into anything on pregnancy, but uh, I'll just mention very briefly. Without proper treatment and care, HIV can pass from a woman to her baby. During pregnancy, at birth, through breastfeeding, after through breastfeeding after birth, future reading is recommended for those interested in explore, exploring HIV and, peg, and pregnancy. A viral load measures how much virus is in the blood. Uh, that is the HIV vi viral load. The goal is to keep the viral load so so low that the virus cannot be detected by a load, viral load test. When antiretroviral drugs are taken, the viral load should decline. A viral load that is less than 50 is considered to be undetectable. A viral load is regularly tested to monitor a person's response to treatment. Stigma. Stigma is one of the biggest problems that people with HIV receive. And it really is a mental health issue in that it's a negative attitude to people who have mental health conditions can lead to discrimination. Substance abuse, intellectual disability, physical and sensory disabilities. HIV can also be responsible for some people getting cancer. HIV, perhaps, is one of the most stigmatized diseases ever. HIV appeared in the 1980s. Uh, it's a viral disease. As of September 2015, 35 countries have laws that restrict the entry, stay, and residence of people living with HIV. Governmental stigma ending of criminalization of HIV transmission, healthcare stigma, employment stigma, community and household level stigma. And so we have to rebuild this to identify my history. And I have to assert that uh, I am a person, realize that I am not your stigma. Redefine your identity position in your own terms and make a list of your positive qualities. I'm referring now actually to uh, people who are recently diagnosed with HIV. Uh, make a list of your characteristics that you could work on. Make a list of what you'd like to change about yourself and what you need to do to achieve these changes. Don't put stigma in the foreground. You need mental reminders to focus your attention away from what's bothering you in the present. You need to have confidence in your abilities. You only disclose what you want to disclose and talk to family and friends, but don't be pressured to talk about your stigma, which is self-imposed. What do you, you want to achieve with talking about it? Um, suggested is uh, joining a support group, uh, don't isolate yourself, and primarily, please tell your story. 
pituitary adenoma, which is a growth on a pituitary gland, often called the master gland because it produces body hormones. Treatment options include surgery, radiation, and medication. Medications given twice a day. I chose medication to shrink the tumor. One tablet twice a day after 24 months, a repeat brain scan showed the tumor had shrunk. I was taken off the medication for two weeks and another brain uh, of the another brain test was done and it indicated that over two weeks the tumor had grown again. So to reduce the growth, the medication is now taken twice a day for life. I'm also living with COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. A lung disease resulting in the obstruction of airflow from the lungs, making it hard to breathe. COPD is often common in smokers, workers in asbestos companies, and in mining. As a lifelong non-smoker, what caused COPD in my case? I had the lack of a protein called alpha-1 antitrypsin, most common uh, prevalent among people of Northern European descent mine being Scandinavian. Alpha-1 antitrypsin protects the lungs against another protein that can harm lung tissue. Daily uh, inhaling medication assists in restoring airflow from the lungs. I'm also living with HIV, was diagnosed in July 2014 and have been on antiretroviral medication treatments since my diagnosis. I have experienced stigma prejudices. Stigma is a form of prejudice that discredits or rejects an individual or group because they are seen to be different from the mainstream. HIV stigma arises mostly from fear and ignorance about the disease or hostility. And existing prejudice stigma turns into discrimination. Stigma associated with HIV can lead to an isolation, make people at risk uh, less willing to be tested, people unwilling to disclose their status because of the stigma associated with HIV. Fear of discrimination from neighbors makes sharing my condition limited, is limited. Self-stigma, internalized stigma, the fear of discrimination breaks down confidence and seek help and med uh, medical care limits a person's ability to live positively. I was fortunate to have an amazing family who have been supporting me with this illness. As a latent onset of the disease, I had been ill for five years before any of the medical assessments showed no reason for my illness until one young doctor said I was really ill and he would, he would start uh, a session on what appears to be a lab requisition for HIV test. Test came back in 24 hours with positive results. Finally, we have what's wrong with you and we can now move forward. My family was notified and I received unconditional support and acceptance of this condition. I'm having a great time. Having HIV is one thing that I can cope with. And I'm now in the stage of aging with HIV. Although antiretroviral therapy for HIV infection precedes AIDS, related complication prolongs life. It does not fully restore health. Long term patients remain at a higher risk for the number of complications typically associated with aging, including cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, cancer, and diabetes. Does HIV accelerate or accentuate aging? It probably is organ and tissue condition specific. There may be an extra hit to those with cardiovascular disease. Diabetes is more prevalent at age, at all ages in those with HIV. In a recent study, the majority expressed experience of resilience and strength 
as related to living with HIV and AIDS. Severe major themes, self-acceptance, be who you are and be glad you are still here. Optimism, I'm having a great time. I have a will to live. HIV is one thing that I can cope with. Given our age and lived experience, we have an educational mandate. When over 50 years of age, we have a huge responsibility to be educators. As older people, we have learned we cannot take it as we cannot take it as is. Older individuals are in a unique position to intervene and prevent the spread of HIV by informing and teaching others about the, their experiences. Despite the seriousness of the diagnosis with comorbidities, finding strengths within stigma and depression, most individuals exhibit resilience. So I may be re repeating some of this information. Know your HIV status. The only way to know if you have HIV is to get tested. If you know you have HIV, you can get treatment and care that you need. With the right treatment, you can stay healthy. Point of care testing through community pharmacies may help. Improve the access to testing, familiarate linkages to care, potentially in rural areas lacking primary care. Stigma and discrimination is associated with HIV. And they're one of the greatest challenges and effects that affects the lives of people with HIV. People fear disclosure of their status because of stigma and discrimination. Being in control of the decision to share your HIV status might be challenging but is also an important part of taking care of yourself. The same people might be hoping their personal health information private, while others being open about HIV is part of living a healthy lifestyle. There is still a lot of judgment and negative reaction of people living with HIV, including negative reactions such as rejection, abandonment, harassment, even physical violence from family and also from fellow workers. I, I go on to talk about if you were given the disease of HIV, what would be your plan? Empathy, patient-centered care and professionalism is paramount. This presentation has once again reminded me that we treat people and not simply the conditions, diseases, or disorders that they have. In general, a great reality check to continue to be open and caring and empathetic, not only is it on the job, but in day-to-day -day encounters with people and not simply the conditions, diseases, or disorders they have. Pertaining to HIV, the necessity for screening, the more alert regarding medication management and the correspondence of breaking down the barriers of stigma with the disease. What I was trying to promote with my presentation is that right now it's, it, a lot of communities don't have the uh, access to health agencies to get tested for HIV and I'm highly recommended that pharmacies do that. They have the training and the drugs and they should be um, including that in their services to the public. Because mm -hmm. um, there is the instant HIV rapid antibody test and that would be a, a good starting thing. United Nations program on HIV AIDS in 2013 90-90-90 is a set of goals. The idea is that by 2020, 90% of people who are HIV and will be diagnosed, 90% of people who are diagnosed will be on antiretroviral treatment. And 90% of those who receive antiretroviral treatment will be virally suppressed. 
And I put that in there to know that uh, British Columbia was the first province in Canada to tie into this United Nations program, which is uh, active in European countries and England. And now there have been other communities, Toronto and Montreal are now in the study as well. And there's one doctor who'd been away over in Europe and came back. And he saw me and he said I was very, very sick when he <laughs> saw me and that he wanted to do an HIV test. And of course I said yes. And so then they found out that when I had my hospitalizations I mentioned earlier, during those two incidents, I had a gastric hemorrhage and over uh, a period of time and I received 29 blood transfusions. And this was all before blood transfusions were tested for HIV. Mm -hmm. And that's where I detected it in 1980 or 1979. And what happened is that mine went into remission, went into hiding somewhere in my body. And then they don't know what triggers it to be released again. Uh, but I had a good doctor who uh, recognized the symptoms and for uh, most of my time when I was ill, they said, I have the flu. <laughs> and they would say, you have the flu, it'll go away, which it did. And then I come back with all the same symptom and then they go away. <laughs> so it was missed. Someone said to me um, in one of my presentations, well, are you angry with the person that gave you <laughs> the HIV? And I said, no, I'm grateful because what that person has probably died for giving it to me in 79 or 80. But mine didn't come visible until 1980, 1981. And I was tested and it came back positive. And that's why I'm alive today. Because I would have died. Mm -hmm. Same as everyone else. It's not the HIV that kills you, it's the AIDS, but you can't get AIDS without HIV. And not all the um, treatments are working for everybody. I've been on three different groups of medication to uh, get me to a stage where I am not positive with my virus. The latently uh, infected cells can, can really remain dormant for many decades. And that's where I'm fitting into that um, until someone identified the fact that I had a lot of symptoms of HIV. One of the big things that um, the government had said that Patients who have HIV uh, are not allowed to have their medications on the PharmaNet system. And I'm asking to have that corrected because it's the pharmacist who's involved in the care of HIV patients for them to prevent and manage clinically important drug interactions between a lot of commonly prescribed drugs and the antiretroviral drugs. They have the capacity to do that. So I had asked in one of my presentations that a group of pharmacists get together and have that implemented. I don't know where what stage it's at, but I do know that drug interactions with HIV-infected adults are uh, associated with COVID illnesses, such as uh, cardiac disease and lung disease and so so forth mm -hmm. and a computerized system that the pharmacies all have if they would put it in on that patient and the patient is agrees to that then they have the ability to have a safer life rather than have drug interactions and the, the uh, drug antiretrovirals are becoming inactive one of the th things that is been kind of important to know that once you have been diagnosed with uh, 
HIV, you have a lot of medical appointments, particularly initially. You have your family doctor, they send you to a lab, you have the lab, then they send you to be assessed by a specialist doctors, uh, including dietitians, and I have a number of pharmacies, and I do have included on my pharmacy profile on PharmaNet, <clears throat> and I had to sign a letter authorizing that. Because now I've got a reference to medical personnel who are <clears throat> experienced in HIV and the treatment and how to manage and care for that. I can tell you my experience is that when I uh, had this doctor to do an HIV test, I didn't think anything different of that because we didn't know how or where I received the virus. And in my doctor and I, we did the research and the only clue we came to is a blood transfusions that I had had and that had so many of them. And when I had blood transfusions before they were testing for HIV, um, they ran out of blood in the hospital on many days. I was 20, 21 days on HIV, uh, blood, blood transfusions and they ran out of blood in my time. So they had people, nursing staff, pharmacy staff, doctors, visitors in the hospital. They paged to have people to go to the lab for immediate need. So I'm grateful that those people res responded because I was lying in bed dying. And I remember when uh, one of the nurses came in in an evening shift and said, uh, and I overheard this, that I had gone to the bathroom on my own and on the way back to my bed, I had collapsed on the floor. But I was awake enough for the nurse who, one of the patients in my room called the nurses and the two nurses came. <laughs> she says, and I never told her I heard what she said to the other nurse. We got to fix this guy because he works in this hospital and I don't want to be one held responsible for his death. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I lived, but I obviously someone didn't live to give me the care I had. And I found that um, overwhelming because I was in the hospital for many days and Jean would come up and I would look at her. We have four children at home and I'm getting all these results on a daily basis of my care and it wasn't good. And they were preparing both Jean and I for probably death. And thank, I'm thankful for the doctors the people who gave me blood, for all the people who helped me live. Because I was in the hospital for 20 some days and to get back to work, it took about another 30 days after I got discharged to be able to have enough strength. Uh, I lost weight and I have never actually regained my weight. I went from 160 down to 90 pounds. And I've gone up somewhat. I'm now 110, <laughs> not a lot, but I'm alive and they saved my life. I was lucky in that the medical people really cared and they did everything in their job to keep me alive. And um, Having worked for many years in a hospital, I know how the process goes when you are dying. And I was getting all those processes and having uh, my uh, minister come in and 
give me last rites. When you're talking to people who are recently diagnosed, it's really important to ensure them that it's not deadly at this point. We're fortunate in that there is treatment and uh, there's a lot of time required to keep your medical appointments. I still have a lot of medical appointments with a psychiatrist, with uh, dietitians. My medical visits uh, are frequent and they're always testing my status of the HIV status. Every three months still, I have to have it tested. Among all, all the other blood tests I have, I have a huge number of blood tests probably in the range of up to 20 at a time. So they're testing for everything. It's amazing what is available to us. And uh, once you get registered as an HIV patient, they line up services available for you and all the services are free. And um, all the drugs are free. The drugs are in an outrageous amount. BC, Alberta, some other organization, other provinces provide total free drugs. Some of the provinces are not able to fund it for totally, but they provide some assistance. As I mentioned to you, I made a commitment myself to educate people. <laughs> and I've written a number of articles about my situation. And uh, when I gave, there's 260 people last, a year ago, last February, who came to my presentation at the University of BC. And uh, it was a, a group of pharmacists. So I'm talking to my friends and colleagues. It was emotional for me, but it was also for the audience because when I got to certain aspects of it, <laughs> the audience was crying and they made me cry. You know, um, I, I think it's important because the stigma, there are things that I have, first of all, when I was diagnosed, I was stunned. And I was driving home from the doctor. I thought, how am I going to tell my wife that I'm diagnosed with HIV? And uh, I happened to meet a friend of mine, pharmacist as well. And he saw Bobby me and said, can we go for coffee? So he shared his story with me. And so I thought, well, well, he's a good friend of mine and he's not judgmental. Mm -hmm. And so I told him that I was just diagnosed with HIV. And uh, he said his regrets, but he said, now you have to publicize what you have so that people know that there is help out there. So that made my day to come home to Jean. And she said, like I'd been sick for five or six months with all this repetitive flu that never was getting treated. And she said, well, now we know what's wrong and we can work through that. So I had support at home. And she said, she'll phone our adult children uh, and tell them. And I immediately got emails from all my kids quite emotional because they all they all told me that not to worry you have our full support and the reason I find that amazing because after my diagnosis and I joined 
these treatment groups. I went on the stigma index committee, which is still functioning from St. Paul's Hospital. And uh, when I hear the stories others have heard, um, I'm the lucky one. I've never had anyone say, you're a bad person. And uh, I tell them, you shouldn't reject people who through other avenues got the disease. They are in the same boat I am and they should be treated the same. And um, our committee, the Stigma Index Committee, which is part of the United Nations are doing that around the world. And uh, some countries like Australia has already published theirs. And I think New Zealand has, uh, England has. Um, ours is up for publication. We're just trying to find it out. Uh, BC was the first province and now Montreal. And um, I think there's one or two maybe Toronto and one in um, the Maritimes are doing it. And they're getting very valuable information. And uh, being on the committee since I was diagnosed, um, I've been to a lot of meetings and the committee, we share stories and we're not allowed to tell what the stories are, but a person who's been on our committee and she finally said, said, you know, I've never disclosed how I got my disease. And uh, she told us, there's 16 of us around a table and we're all crying. <laughs> but we told her that it's okay, she delayed telling us because it was a, a very difficult personal story. And uh, by telling us, then she had a support of 16 people in that room. And I think she's glad she disclosed. Where I've had some issues, um, two main ones that I presented to the committee one was I was uh, ill and Jean took me to the hospital. This was after I was diagnosed and we are required by law to give our medical history. And so of course I told them I'm HIV positive. I told my doctor who came, not my doctor, but a doctor in emergency. And uh, so he took down that and he'd say he'd be back. This is at eight o'clock in the evening and 2.30 in the morning, the nurse came in and said, the doctor hasn't come back. So we have to keep you overnight. We have another doctor will look at you. The doctor refused to treat me. What year was that? Yes, this what? was about three years ago. Um, but what I told the, my group, they said, oh, we've had that. They walk out on them. And that is not acceptable. No. A medical practitioner walking out on a patient because of a disease they have. It's terrible. That's shocking. The other, I was annoyed. I was in lab getting a blood test done. And... Uh, there was a three or four lab techs there and people. And this one patient was complaining about the delay and the wait. And the nurse said, or lab tech, she said to the patient, wait your turn. I'm busy giving treatment to an HIV patient here. So while I'm in that room and everybody's looking over at me because I'm the only other person, there's 
maybe six people there. And they looked over at me and I just mentioned it to the lab tech. I said, you know, uh, it's inappropriate for you to disclose my conditions uh, in this environment. And if she was working with me individually, she was with somebody else who wanted to hurt her, get faster, but she had to do me first. So those are the two stigmas I have. What did the um, nurse say when you said that to her? What did she say to that? She apologized, I'm sorry. Well, that's good at least. Yeah, it is good for me. She recognized that uh, she slipped. Uh, it is a, bit, a bad, I mean, I've worked in hospitals for 50 years and patient protection from what they have is paramount in our training. You don't talk to people. And if people are in the area, you don't talk about it. You can you go to another area or you can wait or you can whisper or you can write, but you don't yell out. And for the doctor to leave me is just not medical services. And I wasn't alone because of our committee of 16 people. Most of them had that happen at least once. Before I made a decision to disclose, I checked with my wife mm -hmm. and with my children. And they all said, you need to tell people because you have the disease, you're having treatment and you're not going to die because of it right now. Mm -hmm. And the first thing when I was diagnosed, the doctor said that fortunately for you, that um, what used to be a death sentence is no longer a death sentence. So right away, that's very reassuring to me as a patient that I'm not going to die tomorrow. And they said, we now have treatment. We don't have a cure. Mm -hmm. That's important to dig, to differentiate. There is not a cure for HIV, but there is a treatment for it. So I still have HIV, but it's undetectable. I cannot give blood transfusions, obviously. And uh, there's a lot of things I can't do. And sexually, there's a, a number of impediments when you have HIV that you can't do, but there is protection available for the person if they want to mm -hmm. have sexual uh, encounters. Gina and I have a a long, happy marriage, and it's remained that way. Um, she's extraordinarily supportive of my activities and how we have handled this situation. And uh, for me, disclosure was a, a big item, which it is for a lot of people with the thing, because there are those rumors and stories about people dropping you as a friend, criticizing you for bad activities. Some people, when they talk about it during our meetings and say, how do you like to sit at a meeting and telling the people there that your friends call you garbage? No, fortunately I have good friends. The, the, the one thing, and you kind of hit it perfectly with that last comment there is what I find really compelling about your story is that the application of what you're saying is is so applicable to so many things and to so many people. There certainly are situations where someone is afraid to say something for fear that they'll be ostracized for that. And that's really unfortunate because you become isolated and that's never a good thing. No, yeah. and that's what we even said. Isolation is a problem with this. Mm -hmm. And we want to have people... Um, come out and, and just tell them. Yeah. You know, they had cancer. They would say, I have cancer. Right. Uh, but yeah. not many people will come out and say, I'm HIV positive. But there are people who need to know. 
And if you don't disclose it to your family and your close friends, it's also interesting when I disclosed mine to my, some of my friends, they said, oh, well, this one man I phoned, uh, he said, oh, yeah, we've been through that because my son is HIV positive. And I didn't know that, but I do now. And I don't tell anybody who it is. But so we had a long discussion about how his son managed that. But they got the right person to give them the diagnosis and the treatment. And he's doing well. Treatment is paramount. And do you know that resistance to the treatment can occur if you miss one dose? One dose may not but they have found some of the people, they have missed one dose and the virus decided to come out then. So you never know. I, I think for today, um, between the, the two Zoom calls that, that we've had, I think that you, you did an excellent job at articulating the importance of just coming out and talking about it and in a way that helps that that drives the the conversation forward towards mm -hmm. more acceptance and and less stigma um, for people suffering less from stig stigma and uh, I really can't thank you enough for for speaking with me I, I really do feel very fortunate and privileged to have talked quite quite a bit with you over the last week and a couple of Zoom calls and all that. And I'm very thankful that you you wanted to spend your time and talking to me. And I'm very grateful for that. And I can't thank you enough. Well, I, I thank you for allowing me to do this because as I mentioned, it's treatment for me to be able to talk about it 